America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that it's a terrible, terrible day for the stock market. Wow. Uh, after yesterday being such an unexpected shot in the arm and things leaping upward, uh, today a big collapse. It kind of looks like an illustration that appeared on another subject in the New York Times. They show a, um, a picture of the Supreme Court building and it's all crumbled and torn and broken down. It's a ruin. The headline in the New York Times, America's Journal of Record, it appears Roe will fall. It's time to rage. Okay, and there's an awful lot of that. I mean, honest to goodness, people treating the uh, perspective decision, and again, nothing in that decision is final yet, but treating the perspective decision by Justice Alito as the end of the world, the end of human rights, the beginning of the unraveling of the whole protection of uh, personal liberty that is, uh, we had always assumed, built into the Constitution. So what happened to abortion? Why is that right, that sacred right, not protected? Uh, we will talk about that. If you are one of those people, and apparently there are millions and millions of Americans who have that feeling, who feel that uh, somehow the America that we know and that we love, an America in which we are free to choose, that America is deeply threatened. If you believe that, you can give me a call, 1-800-955-1776. I won't shout you down, but I will try to make you feel better because I think this is a, uh, a false alarm, to say the least. Uh, we will also be talking about uh, the alarm that is spread uh, really all across the world about Russia and uh, the fact that there are two wonderful countries, two of the best countries in the whole world, honestly, that are about to join NATO. Why and why is this so very, very significant for America's future and something worth celebrating? We'll be speaking to a Swedish-born American expert on what this means for our alliance uh, coming up on The Michael Medved Show. We'll also be talking to uh, Megan McArdle with the idea that women are going to see all of their most sacred concerns collapsed uh, because of the pending Supreme Court decision. Is that true? Uh, Megan McArdle says it depends on what your definition of woman is. And uh, we will also be speaking a little bit about the, the basis, the historical basis for this decision that is being made. And uh, somebody actually getting a surprisingly light sentence for a surprisingly hideous crime. And yes, it involves drinking on airplanes. There's a, a real question that I think is increasingly pertinent, which is why is it a good idea to serve alcohol on planes? I, I know you can make money on it, but when you read about all of these cases, and it's not one a week, it's several every single day, uh, and they are cases that are usually alcohol-fueled. Uh, we will talk about that idea of uh, getting high when you're high in the sky, which is not 
really a great idea. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, first off, Nancy Pelosi made a quick trip to Washington State yesterday, and she uh, met with the Seattle Times editorial board. She went out to Pierce County, that's the county surrounding Tacoma, to take a look at some public works projects that uh, were provided by the infrastructure bill, which provides the only bipartisan triumph of the whole Biden administration. And she, of course, uh, spoke while she was here about her opinion on the opinion. That would be the drafted opinion by Justice Samuel Alito overruling Roe v. Wade. Here is the Speaker of the House in uh, Seattle yesterday. Listen. Draft of a decision that was an assault on women, lack of respect for women and their judgment, but it was a, did violence not only to women, but to the Constitution of the United States. Okay, when you, you use the term the horror and an assault on women, and it did violence to the Constitution. Is this the judicial equivalent of being mugged? Is this the judicial equivalent of being raped or being brutalized? I mean, that's that's what Nancy Pelosi seems to be talking about. There's also a Joy Bihar. She's uh, ready to take, you'll pardon the expression, matters into her own hands. Uh, she's calling for a sex strike. Uh, listen, this is clip 12. Women in the world have conducted sex strikes in history. In 2003, oh. a sex strike, a strike helped, helped to end Liberia's brutal civil war. Yes, and the woman who, charged, who started it was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. In 2009, Kenyan women enforced a sex ban until political infighting ceased. Within one week, uh -huh. there was a stable government. Okay, oh. so we have more power than we think we have. And some of it could be right in the bedroom. Just saying. A sex strike. A sex strike. Um, a serious matter when uh, Joy Behar is, <laughs> you'll pardon me, is willing to go on strike. Uh, really? Just stop it. And, and, and by the way, she talks about how successful these sex strikes were in Libya and Kenya. The, these are two countries that are doing just great. I mean, everything's roses in Libya and, and Kenya. That's a perfect example of what we need. And uh, what would be the demands of the sex strike? Uh, what would be the demands before uh, wives of every age uh, agree to cuddle their husbands? Uh, do you demand that uh, this decision is somehow uh, withdrawn? Or do you demand that the Congress of the United States, which the Democrats have always said they're going to try to do, is going to uh, try to overrule the overruling by passing federal legislation of dubious constitutionality that basically codifies Roe? Or do you need a constitutional amendment before Joy Behar gives up her sex strike? There's uh, this as well. This is from the uh, show The Young Turks, where Anna Kasparian is, um, I think you could say, a bit emotional on the Roe issue. Listen, clip 13. We don't even have paid family leave. 
We don't even have affordable childcare in this freaking country. Okay, and the people who fight against those kinds of laws are Republicans. And yet... What do you want them to do with their kids when they have to go to work? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to do? I want them to answer that freaking question. Answer the question. Journalists, ask them the question. Ask them. Ask them. Isn't it amazing? God, ask them the question. God. Isn't it amazing? that not one Democrat has shown 1% of the passion that Anna has today. They don't care. They They're don't fine. Care. They're they don't fine. Care. They're all so old, they don't even have to worry about it affecting them. And if they're young enough where it would affect them, they'll get their abortion. They're going to okay? fly to they're Paris. They're trading individual stocks, enriching themselves. They're good. They're good. They don't care about you. Make sure you understand that and you feel it in your bones. They don't care about you. Raising, all of that canvassing, all of that hard work on the ground, they can't even get a voting rights bill passed. They're losers. Well, that's, uh, I think, an enthusiastic response to Nancy Pelosi's leadership. Uh, how would you like to hear a debate between Anna Kasparian, who we just heard from, and Nancy Pelosi, who we heard from earlier? The uh, Democratic establishment versus the more progressive Democrats. So what about, it says, uh, it's time to rage in the New York Times. What does that mean? We'll get to that coming up. Enough of him. Michael Medved. Enough of him. It's not worth it. Michael Medved show talking about the very emotional, very passionate reaction to the draft Supreme Court decision that isn't even in its final form yet. It isn't even clear that it will actually go forward, though every indication is that it will with uh, five votes, at least perhaps six uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, the um, piece in the New York Times with a uh, view of the ruins of the Supreme Court building. And then there's a little corner shot of people screaming uh, and uh, they're wearing T-shirts and holding a sign, my body, my choice, not your body. And uh, there's a piece by Roxana Gray, and uh, Roxanne Gray, gay, pardon me, is uh, a contributing opinion writer and the author of books like An Untamed State and Bad Feminist and Difficult Women. Okay, in her piece, she writes about both herself and her wife. Uh, yes, she is a married gay woman. She, she writes about how both she and her wife suffered horrible abuse, and this is not a joke, horrible abuse as... Uh, young children, in one case before even puberty, from family members and people in their circle, and associates that with uh, this nightmare world we're going to be entering into where you can't get an abortion. Now, she should know, and probably does, that in virtually every state that has tried to restrict abortion, there are exceptions for rape. And there are exceptions, certainly, for child abuse by a family member, which is legally rape. 
But uh, she goes on and she writes, We should not live in a world where sexual violence exists, but we do. Given that unfortunate reality, we should not live in a world where someone who is raped is forced to carry a pregnancy to term because a minority of Americans believe the unborn are more important than the people who give birth to them. By the way, the idea that if you are raped, you should be forced to carry the baby to term, I don't agree with that idea. And I think that very few Americans do. I mean, when you read the polling on this and when you look at the legislation on this, the exception for rape is important and is reasonable. The, um, she goes on and she, she writes, uh, and we should defend abortion access not only in cases of sexual violence. All those who want an abortion should be able to avail themselves of that medical procedure. Their reasons are no one's business. People should not have to demonstrate their virtue to justify a personal decision about how to handle a life-altering circumstance. See, the answering argument to that is, is yes, it's a life-altering circumstance, but it's also a life-ending circumstance if you're going to terminate the pregnancy. Uh, she goes on to write, the Supreme Court has issued a statement emphasizing that the draft, while authentic, may still change. Still, it is a harbinger of terrible things to come. As many as 25 states are poised to ban abortion the moment Roe v. Wade is overturned. Now, it's true that those 25 states don't represent a majority of the U.S. population because they do not include, uh, other than Texas, uh, they don't include states that um, are the leaders in population in this country. Uh, leaders in population in this country are uh, California, Texas, uh, Florida, uh, which is kind of evenly divided on the human life, the abortion issue. Uh, New York State, Pennsylvania. Uh, there are a lot of states even there that are among the most populous that are divided or even leaning pro-life. There are reasons to believe in recent elections. One of the reasons that the Republicans control both houses of the legislature in Pennsylvania and have a good shot at winning both uh, governor and holding a Republican Senate seat there is because Pennsylvania is a uh, pro-life state. One of the Democratic senators from Pennsylvania right now, the one Democratic senator, uh, Casey, is a pro-life Democrat, one of the few survivors. In any event, this uh, continues, and let me go to, um, do we have uh, our caller? Jer, is our caller there? He's gone, okay. Uh, the the uh, caller, I, who I'm sorry I, I didn't get to, but he's talking about my treating this as uh, a a joke. I don't believe it is a joke. Obviously, it's very, very important. But I think that some of the exaggerated talk, the, the talk about a sex strike, really? Really? And, and the idea that this is going to be a struggle between men and women. Now, I saw a poll among the many, many polls. There have been literally hundreds of polls uh, over the years about abortion. And they very consistently show that there is not a huge gap between men and women. And most polling has shown that men are more pro-abortion than women. Uh, and not by much, but slightly. 
There was a poll, I will acknowledge, that came out yesterday that showed that uh, women were more likely to support Roe v. Wade. They probably are also more likely to know what Roe v. Wade really is. Uh, but but all of this um, goes to some of the rhetoric on this issue that is so very extreme uh, that James Corden on Late Night talked about Roe v. Wade. This is clip 14, and he had this to say. Listen. And make no mistake, this is the biggest rollback of human rights in modern U.S. history. And we know what a reversal of reproductive rights looks like because your parents and grandparents, they lived it already. When abortion is illegal, it doesn't stop abortions. It still happens. It just has incredibly devastating consequences for mothers and their families. And, of course, the most devastating consequences so often fall on communities of color and the economically disadvantaged. In the, in the leaked document, the court claims it wants to return the right to regulate abortion to state governments. Meaning, in, in many places, the, the decision would very much be taken away from the individuals most affected. Women making hard and difficult choices about their own bodies based on circumstances that are, frankly, none of our business. It's nothing to do with us. This news is stunning and sad and it's terrifying in its future implications for, for basic rights that we all thought were guaranteed. And, and that also ignores the reality. Uh, what about Europe? Uh, there's a, a, a diagram, a, a map, a world map that you can actually see that virtually every country in Europe has limitations, uh, usually uh, after uh, 11 weeks of pregnancy. They are much closer in Europe, in all of the European Union, with very few exceptions. They're much closer to the Mississippi law than they are to uh, the law under Roe v. Wade. We will get to that and more talking about Sweden and Finland giving up neutrality. Why? Uh, we'll be right back on The MedVed Show. On the uh, Michael Medved Show, a headline, Russia taunts Finland by flying a military helicopter into its airspace just as the Nordic country prepares to join NATO to the Kremlin's fury. And also, Russia labels Sweden as Nazis as the uh, country looks to join NATO. And what they're basing that upon is the fact that there were some uh, famous uh, Swedes uh, during uh, World War II. World War II, Sweden was one of the very few countries in the world, along with Switzerland, one of, certainly one of the few countries in Europe, that was neutral, that did not take a side between the Nazis and uh, the Western allies. The Western allies, of course, including Russia. So what is going on here? And Finland, by the way, is answering the... Uh, incursions and everything else that is going on by the Russians with military drills involving some 3,000 Finnish troops who were drilling and training alongside Americans and Brits, apparently. Somebody who knows all about this is uh, Elizabeth Braw, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, 
where she focuses on defense against emerging national security challenges, uh, such as hybrid and gray zone threats. Uh, she is currently uh, and concurrently a columnist with Foreign Policy. Uh, Elizabeth, um, uh, what is going on exactly with this Finnish uh, drill together with uh, NATO troops, uh, particularly from Britain? Uh, was this planned long before the current discussion about uh, Finland joining NATO? Uh, yes, thank you for having me. So uh, exercises are always planned long in advance. They are extremely cumbersome uh, logistically to plan and then to execute. So, so uh, no exercise ever comes about in, in the sort of the spur of the moment. Uh, but of course, it, uh, the, the the Russian uh, provocations, recent provocations, uh, demonstrate why countries such as Finland uh, do well to to exercise very regularly. Well, they, uh, they're pictures of, uh, of, of some of the uh, Finnish troops uh, alongside British soldiers. It's called uh, Arrow 22, this new exercise. Uh, why, why would Russia be so particularly uh, upset at the prospect of these two countries, both very prosperous countries? They always appear on the list of the happiest, most fortunate countries in the world, both Finland and Sweden. Why would Russia be so particularly upset about the notion that they become NATO powers? Yeah, happiest, wealthiest, uh, best press freedom, lots of other things. They are the two remaining countries in the neighborhood uh, that have not applied for NATO membership, despite having the option for many years. For uh, in Sweden's case, uh, Sweden has been able to apply for NATO membership ever since NATO was founded, and in Finland's case, has been ever uh, been able to apply ever since the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, Finland had a, uh, a treaty that was imposed on it by the Soviets, but then when the Soviet collapsed, uh, Soviet Union collapsed, Finland was free to do as it wished, and even so, it didn't join NATO. And uh, uh, Sweden and Finland, of course, have very close collaboration with NATO, but taking the step uh, is is obviously is not something that is going to, to please Russia. But now the two countries are saying, well, we don't care what Russia thinks. We will do as we please, and we will do what's best in our uh, in our national interest. And, and Russia, of course, will, will make a big stink, but uh, that uh, clearly is not deterring these two countries because it looks extremely likely that they'll apply for membership uh, this month. And that's very good news for NATO. It's very good news for the United States of America. I've read some of your material, Elizabeth, and uh, I did not realize apparently uh, Sweden has a significant navy and uh, they control an island in the Baltic that is very strategic and has a great deal of impact on um, uh, Russia's ability to dominate that part of the world. That is correct. Sweden has an excellent navy, which, by the way, is turning 500 years old this year. So it's it's also a very, uh, very experienced navy. Um, and uh, in the Baltic Sea, in the Baltic Sea region, uh, NATO member states, the NATO member states that exist uh, in in the Baltic Sea regions uh, region don't have very strong navies. Sweden is the the has the best navy, so that would be a huge asset to NATO, as of course would be the island of Gotland. 
which sits right in the Baltic Sea and, and would be a key target for Russia. And uh, if, if Sweden becomes a member of NATO, NATO gets access to it, and Russia would also have much bigger trouble occupying it should it wish to do so. So um, Sweden would, would bring uh, those very, um, very positive things to NATO. And Finland, of course, has incredible experience in defending a long land border to Russia, which is a skill uh, it will bring to NATO as well. And Finland has the distinction of being one of the only countries in history ever to turn back, fight off a Russian invasion. In 1939-40, uh, to 40, in the Winter War, the Finns are proud of that, aren't they? Oh, they are, and they should be. And it was a phenomenal and heroic effort. Uh, for 105 days, the Finns, a country of three and a half million, and, and also the country that had recently uh, experienced uh, a, civil, a civil war and that was deeply divided, uh, it came together when the Soviets invaded, came together and put up this valiant fight in the middle of the winter and managed to, to keep the Russians or the Soviets, as it was then, keep, managed to keep them at bay. Uh, 405 days, uh, a, a phenomenal effort, and, and that's something they, they are proud of and should be proud of for, for generations to come. And it's also something they can build on and have been building on in, in maintaining their national defense to this day. Does uh, Finland, do either Finland or Sweden have conscription? Uh, is there, are their armies all volunteer? Uh, Finland has maintained uh, mandatory conscription for all men uh, ever since, uh, well, ever since World War II. So uh, every able-bodied and able-minded ma man has to serve, which is about 75%. Uh, so 75% of men uh, complete conscription. Not everybody selected. If you have a, a, a physical ailment or, or mental ailment, you are clearly not selected. Sweden did away with conscription in uh, 2009, to be precise, and. Um, it, all volunteer forces didn't work out so well. So now it has done something that's really clever, it has brought back military service in a selective fashion. So if you're lucky, you get selected for, you're selected for, for military service, about 10% um, or so of uh, young men and women, it's, it's gender neutral now, uh, are selected. Uh, well, it depends on, on how many soldiers the armed forces need every year, but uh, a very small uh, share is selected, which means that it's, it's uh, harder to, to be selected for Swedish military service than for most universities. So as a result, it's extremely attractive. And then uh, do you, when you do military service, do you get uh, benefits in terms of paying for university and for other other... Uh, gains that you can make from your service? No, uh, this is uh, this is your your uh, service to the country, and uh, the it, it is really incredible that in in Finland, where you really do have to serve, it's not selective. Uh, you do have to serve. Even uh, extremely high achieving young men uh, are happy to to do military service. Let's say, yeah pop stars, top athletes, uh, players in, in uh, the NHL, they return to Finland to do their year of military service. It's remarkable. And that's uh, based on, on uh, it's a result of, of their sense of, of duty to the country. And, and I, I think we all wish that, that people felt the same about their country. Absolutely right. I, I, and, and by the way, both of these countries I know are uh, moving toward that uh, NATO recommended minimum of 2% of the gross domestic product being spent for defense. 
Uh, Elizabeth Brawl, your material is indispensable, and we're going to link information to you about your work at our website at michaelmedved.com. I hope you'll uh, join us uh, uh, again, and uh, we can all uh, look forward to an expanded NATO membership. Uh, coming up, uh, can we look forward to expanded sanity, maybe in the United States? Regarding our political divisions, we'll get to that coming up on the Medved Show. Well, everything you're saying is reasonable. Michael Medved. And on the uh, Michael Medved Show, uh, the uh, news from Israel, which uh, on Yom Hatzma'ud, which is the Israeli Independence Day, uh, not good. Uh, the uh, three people were killed and uh, several others seriously hurt in a terror attack uh, that has already been praised by Hamas in uh, the central city of Elad on uh, today. It just happened. Uh, the um, At least one of the wounded is in critical condition. Up to seven more were hurt in the incident. The Mogain David Adam, the uh, the star of Dave, Red Star of David, the ambulance service, reported three fatalities. The victims not immediately identified. Uh, the paramedics also reported another person was lightly wounded during a fight with the terrorists. Two victims, one in critical condition, another seriously wounded, arrived at Bailenson Hospital in Petah Tikva. A third victim in serious condition was rushed to the uh, Sheba Medical Center in Ramat Gan. Uh, these are all uh, cities in Israel itself. They are not in contested territory. Uh, they're part of the international boundaries of Israel. It's not the West Bank. It's not Gaza. And it is very telling that uh, Hamas lost no time in praising the attack, though they did not claim, at least as of yet, the responsibility. Police have launched a manhunt for the two suspects who used a combination of guns and axes, apparently, to attack people. And they uh, attacked the people while, uh, the, and the assailants have uh, fled in a vehicle. Uh, security forces set up roadblocks in the area around the killings uh, where it occurred. And in the town of Ilad, a uh, helicopter could be seen hovering over the area. This, by the way, is not a lot, which is another city that is much more visited by tourists to Israel. A lot is on the Red Sea. It's the very, very bottom of the country. And it's a resort community. This is a community that is predominantly Haredi. It's uh, predominantly very orthodox people. And... Um, in a uh, speech last Saturday, Hamas's Gaza chieftain, uh, Yahya Sinwar, uh, threatened violent consequences should Israelis continue visiting the site of the two temples that were built, both the temple that was built by King Solomon and then the reconstructed the second temple that was then later improved by King Herod. These were the most are the mo most holy site in Judaism, and there have been Jews visiting those sites uh, forever. It's nothing new. They have, um, 
actually regularized it a little bit more, but there, there still are rules on the Temple Mount, despite um, what you're talking about here, against Jews or Christians praying on the Temple Mount. Only Muslims are allowed to pray there. That, according to the Waqf, who manages this site that now Hamas is complaining about, he also called on West Bank Palestinians to commit individual attacks against Israelis and against Jews in general. This is the practical implementation of what the resistance warned. Al-Aqsa is a red line, so said Hamas official Hazem Kisum. For settler gangs to defile Al-Aqsa, that crosses red lines. That means even to go there. The attack came as tensions have risen sharply between Israel and the Palestinians in recent weeks against the backdrop of repeated terror attacks in Israel and the West Bank that left 16 others dead. The army has stepped up its West Bank activities in an attempt to crack down on the spiraling violence. This is from the Times of Israel. The ensuing raids spark clashes that left at least 26 Palestinians dead. Many of those took part in the clashes, while others appear to have been civilians. In uh, an unusual move, Hamas's military wing claimed a shooting attack in the West Bank settlement of Ariel on Friday. By the way, Ariel's not a settlement. It's a, it's a city. There's a big university there. It's a city of almost 100,000. On Friday, it left a, an Israeli security guard dead. The uh, Qasem Brigades, is al-Din, the leader of it, said this heroic attack today that killed three people will not be the last one with God's help. That uh, the statement from Hamas. Uh, this is extraordinary, and I was going to mention when we were speaking with Elizabeth uh, one of the things, if somebody asks you, what does uh, uh, Israel have in common with Finland? Uh, well, they both have praised educational systems, Finland even more. Finland, according to most rankings, has the best educational system in the world. But uh, they also have a compulsory military service for young men. And uh, compulsive service, it, often it's uh, community service, it's uh, uh, national service for, for women, but uh, they also serve in the army. And uh, it's at times like this that uh, that is a, a very, very useful background for, for people who un are understanding today on this attack on Israeli Independence Day uh they're and by the Jewish calendar they are um uh obviously very sobered by this um brutal and pointless attack the uh, the Dow is down one thousand three hundred eighteen points total d disaster uh and then we have another grim milestone uh covid uh, in the uh, in the U.S., just reached what used to be an unfathomable number, which is a million deaths. A million deaths. That's uh, a, a remarkable milestone, and, and one that we could only wish that we would never reach.
the um, uh, the the ongoing fight on abortion in the United States that also has some relevance to Sweden and uh, Finland, soon to be God God willing, our new NATO allies. I, I looked it up actually because it is interesting in Finland, which. It's a very, it's a kind of country that for years they talked about Finlandization. Finland is right on the Russian border, but they were very much under Russia's thumb in terms of their international position and uh, other, other issues. Finland was, they called it Finlandization, where, well, you don't have troops occupying but you have overwhelming influence. That is obviously no longer the case. Putin is not going to be happy about uh, Finland joining NATO. Uh, Finland is also moderate on the abortion issue. In Finland, there is free access, and it is government-funded, to abortion up till 12 weeks. And after 12 weeks, uh, there is no basis other than the life of the mother or serious illness, not illness for the baby, but illness for the mother, serious illness or the life of the mother that can lead to any abortion. In other words, abortion is totally banned after 12 weeks of pregnancy. And uh, they're not having riots in the street. Finland, it, it looks like Mississippi right now has a more quote, progressive abortion rule than Finland. And what about Sweden? Sweden has a similar rule, abortion available until 18 weeks. So uh, about three weeks, uh, you have a three-week longer window if you want to get an abortion, to get an abortion in Sweden than you do in Mississippi. But uh, none of these places are like some of the more extreme states in the United States, Nan Whaley, who was the mayor of Dayton, Ohio, who won the Democratic nomination for governor, a little bit of a surprise was how comfortably she won. Uh, she was asked about um, her position on abortion because this is now up to governors. It's up to governors and legislatures, so her position is relevant. She said this, clip 18. Well, look, I think that we need to make sure we have access. I've fought with Pro-Choice Ohio and Planned Parenthood to keep our clinics open. I think this is a very personal, tough decision for women. I don't think government should be involved in it. Just to clarify, so you don't believe there should be any government, uh, any, any sort of government uh, past limitation on when... Uh, when uh, a woman gets an abortion? I think that this is about a woman and her doctor. And you'll notice she says only about a woman and her doctor because the baby is nothing. 